ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. I'm Scott Prather, and as promised, joining me now, one of my favorite guests, uh, hands down, it is Nick Underhill of NewOrleans.Football. And I always learn something new about this team we uh, we cover so closely when I talk to Nick. Sometimes uh, a couple of new things, and it's one of the reasons why I love bringing him on. Nick, how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So uh, th- this is, um, I don't know, this could be a broad question to open up, but as somebody that's, that's as in tune with the Saints franchise as you are that covers it as closely as you do and reviewing the film and everything else, what do you think the biggest disconnect is with the national media's uh, analysis, of the, analysis of this team and why they're one and two compared to uh, those locally that cover this team? Or is there even a disconnect, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, that the biggest disconnect, and there's almost a level of, I don't really know how to put this, but like intellectual dishonesty, because they aren't looking at the way that Drew Brees has operated for several years now. And it, we're going to talk about his demise and how it comes. It's not going to be framed through the conversation of downfield passes. And I think this week's game was a good example of that. I mean, there's still people, you look at it, you turn on TV, you go on the internet and you see all these videos and people pointing out the throws at Drew isn't making down the field. And they're saying, Hey, he's not pulling the trigger. This, this is why he's done. Well, I mean, you, you look at you look at how he's performed against cover two the last four seasons, passes traveling 15 or more yards down the field through the air. 2017, he attempted 14 of them, connected on five. 2018, attempted five, hit on three. Last year, attempted five, hit on one. Hasn't tried one this year. So, I mean, if you're looking at it, he's not throwing those passes, period. In, in 2017, we were talking about him you know, as a potential MVP candidate or, you know, uh, 2018, same thing. I mean, he, he, he was really, really good and he wasn't throwing those passes then. And those aren't the passes that you're going to say he's done. He, he isn't, he isn't hitting, you know, the fullback running down the, the left seam against cover two. He's done. Like, that's just not how it's going to be. And that that's the thing that that's a little bit annoying when you look at the way people are talking about him, because that's just not the way they put look out with him. I, you know, I do think that there is some some stuff to look at with him. You know, his accuracy on short passes, I, I think, has been a little bit problematic. This game was was better. There were still a few, and you know, honestly, if he would have played this game week one, I think that the conversation would be a, a lot different. I mean, I don't think that this is the game. You look at it and you say he's 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 good to go, but there was enough good there that. It would have just kind of flown under the radar, and it would have been like, all right, they, they didn't have a preseason. Mike Thomas isn't playing, which, you know, conveniently seems to be something that that we're all, you know, overlooking. The the best wide receiver in the NFL is a part of the offense, and you know, of course, that's going to throw things out of sorts. But Mike Thomas isn't playing. He, he was decent in this game. If this was Week One, it'd just be like, okay, you know, no preseason. They're a little out of sorts. Best players missing, and they'll get it figured out. But. You know, I, I do think, though, that, that it's not like in a place where you just overlook it and say it's all good, you know, everything's fine. I, I think it's still – you'd be wise to look at a 41-year-old quarterback and, and how he's playing and how he continues to play. I mean, there is some weird stuff going on. But I, I don't think it's nearly as bad as, as it's been painted to be. Amen. Nick Underhill, I guess. So you're, you're preaching to the choir here, Nick, because I've 
I, 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 that's what I've been saying. You know, for me, some of the accuracy things, and you did a good job of reviewing the film against the Raiders game, pointing out that he was off on some throws on others. It was maybe Josh Hill running the wrong route. But, like, I, I, was, I had a guest on yesterday, someone I respect that knows football well, but, but he was saying that it's Drew Brees' arm strength that's the biggest concern. And I'm like, I, I, I don't agree with you at all because they've been, you know, bottom uh, five in the league the last few years and average net yards through the air. You just brought up when he plays against cover two. Like, for me, his arm strength, that's old news. Like, if you're just getting on that wagon, that's not new. For me, it was kind of, all right, how, how legit are some of these accuracy issues? How much is it? like just the nuance of not having the normal routine of training camp and preseason, how much of it is a, is a legitimate concern. And, 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 and like you, look, it was, a, it was a disappointing loss for the team on Sunday night. But when I came out of that, I, I was personally a little more concerned about some of the things defensively. Granted, you're playing Aaron Rodgers. I was more concerned about other things and actually felt a little bit better about Drew Brees than I did after the first two weeks. Yeah, look, if we're, if we're talking about the arm strength thing, like this, this should have been settled back in 2016 when Brandon Cooks, you know, started getting upset about his role with the team and the closed mouths don't get fed. Like he was, he was annoyed because the ball wasn't getting down the field the way it used to. And there's a lot of stuff you, you go through and start looking through, you know, the way they, they operated and, and the numbers and how they started falling, you know, corner routes started going in 2016. Like there was this major deterioration in the downfield passing game that season that led to the exodus of, of him and, you know, him being upset about everything that was going on. And you look at their play design, it, it's changed over the years. Like some of these, these route concepts with the vertical route, and I'm not saying they don't run vertical routes, but on plays where they want to, you know, have that primary route on the outside, you know, it goes down the field to a point and it starts curving over the middle and they call those giant routes and they use those more than they used to. And, the offense has become more condensed and it's changed. Like the very fabric of it is different now than, than it used to be. And, you know, one of the, the talking points this offseason was about like, you know, how does Drew Brees, how did he stop throwing interceptions? He stopped throwing interceptions because he stopped taking chances. Like he isn't throwing the fault on the field. It's, it's everything there. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's easy to see Traquan Smith coming open on the right side of the field when the ball isn't coming out to Mike Thomas in 1.7 seconds on the left side and Drew never looks over that way. There's no reason to look that way when Mike Thomas is there. And I think that him being out takes away this level of disguises is making people notice things that have been going on for a while. And I don't, you know, I, I talked to somebody that played against them uh, a couple of years ago and he watched, you know, these, the games have been on primetime. So everybody's able to see him. You know, I just had him like, hey, what do you think? Like, how does he look? He's like, look, he, this is how, how he's thrown the ball for forever. The arm looks like the arm is a couple weird throws, but this is who Drew has been. And, you know, I, I just I just think the conversation's been been a little bit a little bit weird, a little bit overblown. And, you know, I just don't know if there's there's enough detailed analysis going on with, you know, how these other players are playing, the routes are running, the 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 you know, some of the timing issues. Uh you know, Emmanuel Sanders hasn't gotten up to speed the way he should. And I, I think that's been one of the more surprising things too, um, you know, along with the defense not playing well. But you know, Sanders played with, with Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning. Uh, he was in Kyle Shanahan's offense. He's moved around a lot. Denver had 400 quarterbacks during his time there. Like, the fact that, that he's taking a little bit longer to pick things up and, and get settled in has, has, frankly, been one of the bigger surprises. And then, as you said, the defense. You know, I think some of the issues there have been a little bit more more concerning, at least. You know, and that might be recency bias. Two weeks ago, I was, I was watching that 
Raiders game and I was, you know, kind of starting to be like, man, what's going on with Drew? And then you see it closer and, and alleviated some of that. I, I didn't have that so much with, with the defense, you know, watching them after this game. And I, you know, I do think that they're too talented to continue to struggle, but the fact that Cam Jordan has six pressures through two or three games, like that's, uh, you know, not something that was expected. Trey Hendrickson shouldn't be more productive than him. You know, that's, that's definitely not expected. Marshawn Lattimore, you know, he only shows up when he, when he knows who the, the wide receiver is and it's a big name or a grudge match or something. And, you know, he'll play great this week because he knows Kenny Galladay. Everybody knows Kenny Galladay, but when it's, you know, Lazar, you get a little lackadaisical in your zone coverages and now he's running by you for, you know, 48 yards, which can't happen. Or he lets Jay Sternberger get, get free up the left sideline against the cover three coverage, you know, like, that this kind of stuff can't happen. And, you know, he wants to be a top five cornerback. He wants to be paid as a top five cornerback. And he has the talent probably to be the highest paid cornerback in the league. But, you know, this stuff is happening in real time and, and he's letting these guys go and you're, you're seeing his money drop, you know, as the games are played and that can't happen. Like he, he needs to tighten that up and get better. And, you know, that's got to make it hard to game plan too, when you don't know if your shut down corner is going to shut down. I mean, like I, I don't know how you, you scheme around that. Like, at some point, like, he has to become a cons- consistent player, and I, I don't know who's to blame for that, you know. I, I don't know if it's the way he practices. I don't know, you know. I don't know. It's like, at some point, somebody has to get something out of him and, and make sure it shows up every single week. And he's, he's one of the best players on the team, and it's just it just can't go on like that. Like, they got to get him to lock in. And once he does, and, you know, all these other issues on defense come together and you know, they start communicating and I'm, I'm going really long here, but like, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think this is, this is a huge surprise because they're a veteran team and we talked about it. Hey, the way this off season is the way it sets up, you know, this, this, this is good for the saints. They have the most talented team in the league. They're a veteran team. Other teams won't be able to practice. The saints will be able to get on the field and they'll be, you know, all sorted out and in order and they aren't. And that, that's a shocking thing. Like they can't cover a bootleg, because they don't know how to make the switches. And for a team that's been playing together forever, that stuff should just happen naturally. Like, you should almost be at the point where it's just like, you know it's coming, you, you ID it, and everybody knows what to do, and you don't even got to say nothing. But, like, they, they can't figure it out, and that stuff has is, is just been baffling so far. Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN1420.com. I'm Scott Prather, Nick Underhill of New NewOrleans.Football. Um, if you're not subscribing, you're missing out, and something that Nick pointed out earlier, you know, and, and I've been saying this week, you know, the national narrative, I think, is a bit misguided when it comes to the issues currently plaguing this Saints football team. Uh, you just highlighted a number of them. Uh, I, I want to I touch on a couple of things, but I have a question to you about, uh, you know, the bootlegs and, and not them being able to switch. I mean, Darren Waller just had a, a monster game against them, didn't do much against New England. Uh, you had nine receptions amongst tight ends, uh, on Sunday night with the Packers against the Saints defense. And while the Lions are the Lions, they're one and two coming off of a win, you know, they have a good quarterback. They're their leading receiver right now in terms of catches and yards. I'm if I'm not mistaken, is TJ Hawkinson a tight end. So is is this um you know, is it more or less the the game plan, Nick, in terms of the opponent, or does the Saints defense really have a tight end issue when it comes to defending the opposition? I don't think they should have a tight end issue because it seems like they have a ton of guys that, that can theoretically cover a tight end. Demario Davis, you know, early downs, he should be able to match up and, and be fine with it. And then you have enough safeties that you should be able to, to drop, you know, 
Chauncey Gardner-Johnson or, or somebody else uh, on a tight end and, and be fine with it. You know, against the Raiders, that, that was one of the things that, that was, again, it's just like one of those like weird baffling things. You saw the, the Patriots when they went, went against the Raiders this week, like on some plays, they had Stephon Gilmore on Waller because Waller's the biggest receiving threat on the team. And I was just surprised that it went on the way it did in that game. It just kept going and going and going. And like it's, it was just basically wherever he lined up on the field, they matched up with him, with whoever was over there. You know, they were, they were playing sides. And I, I just I just didn't understand why there wasn't maybe a move to put somebody else on him every single play instead of allowing him to dictate who he was going up against and, and being able to take advantage. I think he had catches on eight different guys. And, like, that just shouldn't happen. Like, he, he's ripping through your team. It's him and Jacobs, like, just – just get someone on him to stop him. Um, you know, I they have a tight end problem if they don't have a good plan for the tight end. And I I, I just don't – I don't know if you can let that, that go on again. But obviously the Packers saw what happened against the Raiders and, and they took some of the stuff they did. The, the goal line play where Waller scored and they didn't defend it the right way. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson let him go, bit on the play action, the rollout. They hit him, touchdown. Same exact play this week. This time Caden Ellis lets the guy go. So – there's a coaching point there in that area of the field where, where something isn't getting relayed to the players, like as far as their, their discipline and watching it and their recognition. So they need to fix that quickly. And then the other thing that was, that was interesting in this game and the play that they used to kill them, the Raiders only gained two yards on this, this one rollout, but the way the Saints defended it, like everybody was turned around looking the wrong way. Derek Carr just held onto the ball way too long and they only got a two yard gain. If he had gotten it out quicker, he would have hit his tight end in the flat and it would have been seven, eight, nine yards after the catch. The Packers saw this one little moment, saw how bad it, it was defended, ran the same play like seven times. And every single time it was seven, eight, nine yards. And they just killed him with it the whole game. And, and the Saints never adjusted. So I, I, I don't think it's necessarily a talent problem. I don't think their coaching on defense is, is bad or anything. I just think that so far it's been a little bit out of sorts and, and they got to clean it up. You know, I, I still think Dennis Allen can, can do all that and get everything done. It's just, you know, early on here, they're just, they're just having a lot of trouble getting the guys really on both sides of the ball. Like it's just been a little bit, you know, tough getting everybody in position to succeed and and they got to do better at that. Nick Underhill of New Orleans dot football. I think he's the best in terms of covering the saints uh, behind the scenes and breaking down the film study as well. Nick, when you look at Michael Thomas, not being uh, with the, you know, look, Oh, we only had, I love when they only had three catches in week one as if, like, that dictates his entire impact. I always kind of roll my eyes at that one. Um, he Not having him here the last two weeks and the national narrative focusing more on uh, something a bit outdated like Breeze's arm strength as opposed to not having the reigning NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Give us, aside from just the catches, what are some other ways his absence is hamstringing this offense a little bit right now? Look, I'll say one, and this is going to probably sound a little bit goofy, and I, I roll my eyes at, like, you know, the intangible stuff, but I do think that, you know, like, without people in the stands and everything, like, he brings a level of intensity to this team and to every, every play and everything he does that I think is probably missing a little bit. And I think when he comes back and he's able to provide that, I think there might it might feel different. I think that there might be a little bit more – more of that in the building and and you know when you got to create that energy now like I, I actually think that's a, that's a real thing that needs to happen and he'll be a big part of that but you know on the field 
I mean, the way they get covered, it's just he's the guy you plan for. He's the guy you got to try to take away. And you aren't necessarily bracketing someone like Mike Thomas, who, who's, you know, really making his living on, on seven-yard gains, eight-yard gains. You know, you aren't going to necessarily shadow a safety over top every single play, but, you know, he's the guy that everybody has to be aware of because he's going to catch the ball quickly and, now you got to rally to tackle him. He's a big physical guy. Like, you know, you got to, you got to gang tackle him. So you got to be aware of him like that. And I think that, you know, if you're, if you're focusing on him, it's just going to soften things up everywhere else. But, you know, also that's, that's Breeze's big time security blanket. And as I was saying before, like you're noticing the stuff other people are doing, but last year, it, I might be a little bit off on this number. It's somewhere in this range. But I believe like 153 of Mike's targets last year, he was the first read on that play. If it's not 153, it's like 140, whatever it is. It was a super high percentage. And when that's the first guy you're looking at and you're getting the ball out to, you know, it's going to hide a lot. And some of the stuff everybody's pointing out, it's like, you know, Breeze is in the pocket. He's getting happy feet on some plays, which, you know, obviously isn't what you want to see. But when you're scanning the field and you're looking and now you're trying to make these reads and, you're trying to hit this this guy on the outside or, or whatever. Like, there's just so much more you got to do, and you're taking away an extreme, you know, level of comfort from a 40 plus year old quarterback. The age and stuff is going to show up a little bit more. So it, it, it's such a huge thing, and it just kind of seems like you know you turn on. Well, I'll say a different name. You you, you turn on the NFL Network, and you know they're talking about Breeze and, and how he's playing or, or whatever it just doesn't ever seem like anyone's like hey the the best player on the team's gone and these other guys around him aren't quite up to speed the way they should be and it, it seems like if it you know if it was Patrick Mahomes and it's someone everybody assumes their talent and, and his best receiver's gone well they have a million other guys but you get the point like if Russell Wilson was without Tyler Lockett and this is last year and Metcalf is slow getting up to speed you know, I think there would be a little bit more of a grace period. And I'm not trying to make excuses for Breeze. He, he doesn't deserve them. His play itself hasn't been up to Drew's standard. But I, I just don't think that we're considering all the variables when we look at how rough it's been. And Mike is, is you know, the offensive player of the year. It, it should be a larger part of the consideration when you're, you're trying to calculate his decline. Nick Underhill, New Orleans.Football, our guest when we come back. The uh, NBC broadcast, Chris Collinsworth, talking a lot about the lack of a crowd and the impact on Sunday and Aaron Rodgers being able to do hard counts and really other things he couldn't normally do. What's it like in the Superdome when you only have 750 in the stands? We'll ask Nick about that. A potential, granted it's potential, we'll get an injury report later today, but Marcus Davenport, when he returns what kind of impact can we expect? We'll get into all of that when we come back right after this. It's the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN 1420.com. All right, welcome back into the show, everybody. Nick Underhill is still with us here, ESPN 1420.com, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank, uh, at Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter, uh, NewOrleans.Football. I'm a subscriber, uh, great content. Uh, he also has his podcast, Lots of great stuff over there. Go check it all out. I think if you're a Saints fan, I can't recommend it enough. Bottom line, uh, just reading your stuff, uh, you know, earlier this week, I guess after the game on Sunday, the film review. I really learn a lot from that each week. And uh, the breakdown, some of the All-22 stuff you have in there as well. Really good stuff. Go check it out, guys. Nick, um, the, the, you know, I was talking to 
Um, my friend Luke Johnson, who I've known for a while, a little bit after week one about uh, an empty Superdome and uh, talked to somebody that was there in Vegas. Being there on Sunday night against a, a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and 750 in the stands, now there was a lot of discussion about what the impact might be by not having uh, you know, Saints fans or a normal Superdome and how it could impact the team. You've now got to see it for two home games. And I think NBC was, was really focusing in a lot on that on Sunday night's broadcast. What's it like and what kind of impact do you think it has? I'm not sure I noticed it as, as much in Vegas. So that might have just been because it was a new stadium. But, you know, I, these home games, I, I can't. It's hard for me to even put in the words just how bizarre it, it, it is to be in there. And it's almost, you can describe it, but it's almost, you, you have to go in there and just see how, how sterile and, and empty and hollow everything feels. It, it really stood out to me after Alvin had that, uh, I believe it was the 52-yard screen touchdown. And, you know, he breaks six tackles on the play and it's just silent. And it's just, he, he's going in. And, you know, really even doing my own job, like not having them there, like, there's just, and I'm sure players feel this too. I mean, there's just patterns of, of sound that you become so accustomed to that, that keeps you locked in and focused on, on what you're doing. And without it, it's, you know, they, they hit a timeout and you can start letting your mind wander. You start looking up a stat or whatever. And then all of a sudden you hear a whistle blow and you, you just missed the play. And like, that just wouldn't happen. Like that, there, there's energy in the building and it, it keeps you locked in and, and into the moment. But yeah, on the field too, it's, it's crazy. Like, we're at the top of the Superdome all the way up there. And like, you know, you, you hear Tom Brady and his, you know, high pitched voice, like MFing people, or, or you hear, uh, you know, there's a play against the Bucks where, where the, where the Tampa sideline was, you know, yelling out screen while, while Breeze is going through his cadence. And, you know, sure enough, they still throw a screen and it, and it works. But I mean, like, these are things you don't hear. And, you know, Peyton kind of talked a little bit about, you know, some of the, the biggest issue for, for them is just that, you know, you got half the, the bench yelling run, half the bench yelling pass. And on the field, you got to be careful to ignore that because now there's too much information and, and you can hear too much. So, you know, it, it's maybe changed a little bit there too. So, you know, I, I just feel like they need to get some people in there. It's taken away you know, a, a lot of home field advantage. They had 750 in there this week. I'm not sure that you could even really feel that small amount of people. You know, I, I think LSU with, with their small crowd, at least there was some, some, you know, atmosphere and, and just a little bit of, of, of a feeling, but, you know, I do think that that players feed off of that and, and they need that. And really, I mean, just, just something to, to create some noise. So Aaron Rodgers can't get, you know, your team to jump off sides in a critical moment in your building, like that shouldn't be able to happen. And, you know, I, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. It, it seemed like things were moving towards people getting in the stadiums, you know, the Titans having this outbreak. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if that's going to change things or if that's, that's a wake up call or maybe everybody's been living in, in fantasy land. You know, personally, I know being in this like little NFL atmosphere, I was starting to feel really, really comfortable with everything that was going on. And, and it kind of felt like, you know, they had it under control. And, you know, the, the guy from the Falcons test positive, nobody else has it. You know, it seemed like they were doing a really good job with it. But that was probably, you know, a little bit of uh, luck and a little bit of fiction. And, and, you know, now here it is. But, you know, we'll see how that impacts how, you know, 
places like New Orleans move forward with, with letting people in the stadium. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, New Orleans dot football. That's where you can get more from Nick Underhill and uh, kind of the same thing, Nick. It's like you watch the first three weeks of the NFL and it's like, man, you know, granted you, no fans in the stands were limited fans in some places, but just in terms of the product and, and playing and everybody, for the most part, having all hands on deck, unless it was because of an injury or suspension or something, kind of got comfortable as well. And then you see what happens with the Titans yesterday, and now they can't meet in person until Saturday, and they're supposed to hit pit, host Pittsburgh Sunday. We'll see again. We'll see what happens with all of it. But just that wake up call that man, it is it, it's it's coming for the NFL at some point, or rather, it's here. It's arrived. Um, in terms of the Saints, one guy we haven't seen yet this year that reportedly was having a strong training camp. Uh, we talked to you a little bit about him, uh, I guess, the last time we talked, and that's Marcus Davenport, or as Saints Twitter likes to call him, Mister. Like, what do they call him? Two first rounds or two first rounder? I, 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 I just, I feel like the the ceiling is so high for him, and yet, you know, he's missed a lot of time, and. He has been raw at times. Uh, practiced on a limited basis late last week. Was not able to play Sunday. We'll get our first injury report of the week later today. If and when Davenport can get back on the field, what kind of impact should we expect from him? I, you know, I think they need him really bad right now. And I, you, you see the pass rush really hasn't been very productive. Cam Jordan, for whatever reason, hasn't really gotten going. He had a core muscle surgery after the season. I you know, I, I don't know if that's lingering. It's just weird not to see him getting pressure consistently. And I know that they've talked about the amount of doubles and the chips and nudges that he gets. But I, I have to think that, you know, that stuff has probably been going on with him for years. Oh, yeah. It's not like you have a guy that, that's, you know, a 12-sack guy and all of a sudden he isn't part of your game plan. Right. So, you know, I do think getting Davenport out there, though, makes it a little bit harder to, to key everything toward that side. So now you got two guys you got to worry about. And maybe that helps you get something going. You know, I, the frustration with his injuries, you know, I don't think the, the fans are alone in that. I, you know, I think the organization is, is probably a little bit frustrated with that. And I think the hard pursuit of Clowney kind of showed you what they were, were thinking, you know, at, at that moment. Like, yeah, obviously that's an opportunity to get somebody in. But if you're trying to, you know, do the NFL's first sign and trade and everything, you know, you can't lie with your actions and, and the actions told you how badly they felt like they needed that insurance policy at the very least. I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with Davenport's talent. I don't think I had anything to do with his level of play. You know, I think it just had to do with how often he's on the field and then he had this injury pop up and all of a sudden, you know, he's back on the field and then it's there again in week one. And I think they thought they were going to have him this week to play and then they didn't. And, you know, I, I think, you know, he, he should be out there for, for the Detroit game. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just been a, a little bit frustrating with him. And But when he does play, he, he's a very, very good player. And he's a guy with 10-sack potential. I, I think he was, you know, right there on it last year. And it's just, you know, always with him, though, every time. It's if he plays 16 games, if he stays healthy, if he stays on the field, if, if, if. Well, I mean, this is year three. And at this point, and it's it's easy to say that it's not like he could play 13 games and, and hit everything and, you know, all, all this stuff early on in the season might look stupid at the end of the year. But, you know, right right now in this moment, it's hard not to look at it like, look, man, like this is – it's time now. Like the potential, the rawness, you know, everything needs to come together. This has to be the season. They invested two first-round picks in him. You, you got to deliver. And, 
that that's just kind of where it's at. And now the team is is counting on him. You know, he had a lot of leeway for a while where where he could come in and you know kind of figure things out on the fly. Well, you know, time's up on that, and, and it's time to contribute. So they're going to need him out there. He's going to have to start playing well. And really, I mean, if, if Cam is slow going, working himself up into something, you know, it, it's on him. It's big time on him. And and you know, you can't be getting outplayed by a third round pick when you're the guy that that you know they put two first round picks in and you know obviously if he stays healthy no problem being better than trey hendrickson but trey hendrickson's on the field that matters a lot right now i mean that's what they need and trey hendrickson is making uh, an impact nick underhill our guest uh saints insider uh analyst writer and a podcaster so nick as we wrap up the conversation i want to you kind of just <clears throat> bringing up hendrickson leads me to my final question and it's it's, more, it's not so much about next week against the Lions or the first two weeks, but it's more of an outlook on this season as it pertains to some guys and their futures. You know, Hendrickson is part of that uh, lauded 2017 class, uh, one of the great NFL draft classes ever just based on immediate impact and what we've seen. And he's a guy that many feel like, well, you're not going to be able to pay him. He's playing well enough. He'll probably get a good contract somewhere. But you brought up Lattimore earlier, and – you know, when he's going up against an all-pro, he's elite. And when it's an Alan Lazard, it's like w- w- he looks like a backup. I mean, he just he's getting beat deep down the field by UDFA. His contract situation, uh, and I know he's got one year left after this one, and it's the fifth-year rookie option, but Marcus Williams part of that draft class. This is the last year of his deal, and he hasn't gotten off to the strongest start at least the last two weeks. And then you got Hendrickson, who I think – I'm only speaking to Saints fans I talk to. I'm not speaking for everybody, Nick. But many feel like, okay, he's, you know, good for him, and he'll probably end up going elsewhere. You know, of those three guys, is Hendrickson the most likely to to, to be gone, or is it one of the other two at this point? What, what are those three guys' future with this franchise? And after you answer that, we'll let you run. I think you got to keep – Marshawn and and you figure it out and honestly if he has something he struggles you might you might get him at a at a cheaper price than what he's worth at some point you got to believe that he's he's going to lock in but even if he doesn't he, I think he's still a valuable player it's just it's just the inconsistencies do make it difficult but the thing with him and Ramchek is if you sign them see they're they're going to have a bunch of salary cap issues upcoming and I think 2022 is more the year than 2021 but if you extend them, you can lower their cap hit for next year, and that allows you to keep other players around and maybe re-sign even somebody else because you can take the $10 million that they're going to count on the books and really cut that in, in half or even lower depending on how you structure the contract. So, you know, I, I, if you don't, you're paying them five, and, and now you got to figure out where to come, come up with the money somewhere else. But, you know, even without that, I, I think they would want to keep them. But, you know, paired together – I think it becomes an easy financial decision because you need short-term relief, and he's he's a, uh, a form of that. Marcus Williams is, is tough. You know, I think his coverage is as good as it gets. He, he's in position, but the tackling makes it hard to pay someone. Like, how do you pay someone to be the top safety in the league if you can't count on them to give you that layer of, I don't know, safety? Like, as the last guy, you got to be able to make that play, and and too often he doesn't. And it's almost cherry picking in a way. Like if you look at it, like, okay, he misses five, six tackles a year, but they happen to come in these like big moments. And at some point, like that becomes your DNA and that's who you are. 
So he's going to have to show very quickly that, you know, those tackling issues are behind him, but we've already seen him miss one this year. So, you know, I, I don't know. He, he's, he's probably the toughest decision on the team. You know, Hendrickson's the guy that I would probably let go out and test the market and, and see what's out there and see, let somebody else tell you what he's worth and just say, Hey, like, just let us know before you sign somewhere else. But if he can go somewhere and be a starter, and I don't know if he's, you know, good enough to be a starting player or to get paid as a starter somewhere, but you know, in the right system, he might like someone could, could maybe, you know, make use of him and, and scheme some stuff up for him. Like, I don't think anybody would have thought Kyle Van Noy would be, you know, a, a starter at one point in this career. And, you know, now he's, he's pretty well paid and, you know, he did well in New England. He's in Miami now. So, you know, if, if somebody has a vision for, for Hendrickson and, and the money to pay him, I could see it, but I, I would let him, I would let him find out, bring it back, and if it makes sense to keep him, you know, I think he's he's a pretty good rotational pass rusher. He's he's shown you that this year. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, man. I, Marcus Williams would be would be the hardest one to, to invest in because I think he's probably going to get top of the market money, and I just don't know. I don't know. Like you, they know him better than anybody else, and it, it would be hard to. As much as I like the talent, it, it would be hard for me to to place a long term bet on that. Great stuff from Nick Underhill. Uh, there's so much more you can get. Uh, go subscribe, neworleans.football. Uh, all of it's over there. Check out his podcast, whether it's on YouTube or another platform, uh, every single week. Uh, at Nick Underskill, uh, excuse me, at Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter, uh, at NO.Football if you want to follow uh, the Twitter account for uh, his website that he runs and all of his other content as well. Nick, man, I appreciate the time. Um, look forward to chatting with you in late October. We'll see what the Saints record looks like then. But uh, I think number of winnable games coming up, hopefully they could turn this thing around. I think they got the talent for it, but certainly some areas to clean up. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I still think 10-6 and six is the floor. So, I mean, they, they, they can do better than that. I, they, they're going to bounce back. I feel like, I feel like this, it starts this week and, and they get on a little bit of a roll here. Awesome stuff. Nick, appreciate the time, man. As always, all the best. Yep, thanks for having me.